0: We've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn what science says people regret the most, why Mount Everest is not necessarily the tallest mountain on Earth, and the 99% of the internet you can't find on Google.
0: What satisfies some Curiosity? Ashley, do you have any biggest regrets in life?
1: No, every single decision I've ever made was the right one.
0: That's the spirit. (laughs) Well, Curiosity has looked at a lot of research on regrets Because we were curious about this, and a number of studies show the same thing. The mistakes of inaction are what bother our brains the most, according to science. You can actually predict a curve of regret. Now, in the short term, your brain tends to focus on what might be called active mistakes, like spending your money on something risky when you're feeling pretty confident about it. So an active mistake might be putting a bet on a sports team that you're sure is going to win, for example. But as time goes by, most of those embarrassing choices you made tend to be forgotten, while the times that you did nothing start to loom much larger. Stanford psychologist Dr. Louis Terman studied a group of people nicknamed Terman's termites over their lifetimes, and he found that when members of the group were in their 80s, their most common regrets were things like, I wish I'd gone to college, and I wish I'd been more assertive. Regrets are also complicated by the ways our lives play out. So you can think of it in terms of your two different selves. We're going to get a little philosophical here. You can think of it in terms of your ought-self, like I oughts to have done something, versus your ideal self. Your ought-self is your imagined future of how things are supposed to go. Maybe you picture yourself getting a stable job, getting married, raising children, retiring, you know, the stuff that might be expected of you. Your ideal self, on the other hand, is your imagined self who does what you really want to be doing. That person is a famous playwright or a professional surfer or a successful rocket scientist, Obviously, you have to find a balance between your ought and ideal self, but it's regrets about our ideal selves that really bother us. Researchers think this might be because ought self regrets are more immediate and in context, while ideal self regrets are less obtainable. So like if you regret not selling your house when you ought to have, you can look back and you can say, oh, I really should have done that. But you also have the context of knowing that, you know, you knew the housing market at the time wasn't really great. You understood your motivations at the time. Maybe you needed to keep it for a particular reason. And maybe you knew that not selling at that time, it didn't totally derail your life. So you can kind of look back and be like, oh, OK, that makes sense why I did that. So you're not going to regret it forever. But if you regret not becoming a famous stand-up comedian, you're just seeing that ideal part at the end of the tunnel. You're regretting that you never were up on stage in front of 10,000 people but you're not thinking about the hours of getting up in front of crowds that are really small or way too drunk or getting ripped off by a club owner who doesn't want to pay you or having to drive to another city through a blizzard and having an erratic schedule and getting harassed by people who come see you. Cody, and I, you, you
1: want to talk about something? I don't know what you're talking
0: about. <laughs> but there are all these really terrible things that you have to do to get to that ideal self. So it's a lot easier to regret not being famous up on stage when you don't think about all you would have had to do to get there in the first place. So that's a little bit about why you regret the things that you don't do. And it's just another reason to go for it.
1: Yeah, that actually makes me realize when you asked me if there's anything I regretted in life, I was trying to think of all the things that I did wrong. But now that I think about the things that I didn't do, there are a million of them. I can think of tons. It's really, yeah, that that is how the mind works.
0: Exactly. And actually, one of my biggest regrets is legitimately something I didn't do. What is that? I got a computer virus and nearly lost all of my photos and videos and music recordings from high school and college. I've talked about this on the podcast before. And I didn't have my data backed up.
1: Oh, yeah, I've heard that story.
0: That is a true story. And today's podcast sponsor can help you avoid making the same mistake.
1: Cody's talking about Backblaze, a data storage provider that offers unlimited cloud backups for your Mac or PC for just $5 a month.
0: Seriously, in this day and age, you absolutely have to back up your files. And we're going to make it super easy for you with a special offer for Curiosity Podcast listeners. Visit Backblaze.com curiosity to try Backblaze for free for 15
1: days. Try it out, see how easy it is, and then protect your files for just $5 a month. Backblaze backs up everything. Your photos, your documents, your videos, your projects even your external hard drives. Remember, backup is unlimited.
0: You can leave out files you don't want backed up and you can access your data anywhere in the world on the web or on your phone. They can even ship you a hard drive overnight to restore your files.
1: Backblaze has backed up 500 petabytes and counting and they've restored more than 30 billion files. Backup up your files today, free for 15 days at backblaze.com curiosity.
0: Again, get your 15 day free trial at backblaze.com curiosity.
1: All right, Cody, I know you know this. What is the tallest mountain in the world? Mordor. Mordor is not on the world.
0: Oh, right. Then Mount Everest.
1: A lot of people think that. But today on Curiosity, we wrote about how Mount Everest isn't necessarily the tallest mountain in the world. Mount Everest is tall at just over 29,000 feet or 9,000 meters. That is about 20 times as tall as the Empire State Building. So you are totally almost right. You could actually make the case that other mountains in the world are taller because it all depends on how you measure its height, right? Right now, a mountain's height refers to how far it rises above sea level. But sea level varies. It varies across the world by up to 100 meters due to currents and gravitational variations. But that's not a huge variation. The biggest problem with Mount Everest is that it stands on a plateau that's roughly 16,500 feet high, so it's like a person getting their height measured while they wear heels. It's not really fair. Measure Everest from the plateau to the summit, and it's not as tall as Alaskan mountain Denali, previously Mount McKinley, which stands at more than 20,000 feet. And what about mountains partially underwater? If you measure the Hawaiian volcano Mount Kea from its underwater base to its peak, it's more than 30,000 feet tall. And of all the mountains in the world, the summit of Ecuador's Mount Chimborazo is farthest away from the center of the earth. Then again, it gets a boost from being near the equator because, as we all know, the earth bulges at the equator. It's not perfectly round. The moral of the story is that there's no perfectly fair way to measure mountains. What do you think? Or are we making a mountain out of a molehill? All
0: right, Ashley, are you familiar with the deep web? I am. Have you ever surfed it?
1: Well, anytime I check my email... Right?
0: Oh, because you know what the deep web is. I do. Well, today, if you don't know what the deep web is, listener, you're about to learn about it. Here we go. All right. Now, listen, as a whole, the internet contains at least four and a half billion websites that have been indexed by search engines, at least according to one Dutch researcher. That is a huge number, but it barely scratches the surface of what's really out there. The rest of the internet is known as the deep web. And according to some estimates, that's 400 to 500 times larger than the surface internet. Most of the deep web, as you mentioned, Ashley, is just emails, social media profiles, subscription sites like Netflix, and stuff that you need to fill out a form to access. So just stuff that's not, again, indexed by search engines. But because the deep web is hidden from search engines, some people use it for more nefarious purposes. Ooh, That's the dark web. The dark web is a very tiny portion of the deep web, and that is made up of encrypted sites. Almost everything there is anonymous, or at least tries to be. Encrypted sites don't have DNS and IP addresses that usually make websites identifiable. And to access a site on the dark web, users often have to use encrypting software that masks their IP addresses, making the users really hard to identify too. The dark web is what people are talking about when you hear about the Silk Road, that online marketplace for illegal drugs that was shut down in 2013. There are other sites on the dark web that provide resources for hitmen, terrorists, and other criminals. And even accessing sites on the dark web can set off red flags at the FBI. Fun fact, Tor is the most popular software for making and accessing dark websites. And Tor was originally created by the U.S. Navy. Even today, Tor is funded by the U.S. government. Wow. Yeah, and now you know.
1: You can read about all these stories and so much more on Curiosity.com.
0: Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.